Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about how a first-time publisher gets funded on Kickstarter. How do they make that happen? And we're talking to Andrew Burkett of Atheris Games. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, really glad you're here. Now, I'm excited to get to talking to you about this. You're, you know, you've, your company, you've done a couple Kickstarters. How many have you done? Uh, we have two currently and one that will be on Kickstarter soon. Yeah, and so you kind of get this idea of like how to go from zero to hero, how to go from nothing to funded game on Kickstarter. So I'm excited to kind of hear your, your thoughts, your insight, your tips and tricks. But first of all, just give me your bio. Like, Who is Andrew? People never heard of you. Who are you? All right. Well, I am I'm 22 years old. I started uh, the company uh, my senior year of high school. I came up with a game idea, didn't do anything with it until I went to the University of Florida. I'm a senior marketing major now, uh, graduating in December. Uh, I write for Casual Game Insider, which is kind of a recent thing that I, I've always been a writer and love doing that, love running and writing and reading. And so those are some of my passions, and obviously I like game design and publishing. So Yeah, so how did you get into game design? Like, where did that start? So, honestly, I it, it's the weirdest thing. I'm, I'm not the usual case. I'm obsessed with cars. Okay. So I have a 1979 Camaro Z28. It's nice. my baby. Yes. Um, I love old muscle cars. And so I was like, why isn't there more games about automobile stuff and so i wanted to make an automotive themed trading card game and then it became more of like a livable card game i spent a bunch of money on artwork decided i couldn't afford to finish it didn't finish it <laughs> maybe eventually yeah. it will be finished but then i i, I pivoted into cul-de-sac conquest which was our first successful kickstarter so let yeah. it meet that <laughs> yeah so well hold on so you have a love of cars but then you thought, let me make a card game, card game. Anyway, uh, and so, but like, what got you into design? Like, did you play Settlers of Catan and go, "Holy oh, crap, this is a whole new idea"? Like, what, what got you there? Yeah. So honestly, like I said, weird. I I came up with the card game having not played any games since I had played Yu-Gi-Oh like years before. Oh wow. Okay. I didn't play any board games. Um, until I started the company and realized, well, if I want to start designing games, I have to play a lot of games. So I started playing games after I had this idea. I was like, there should be more car games. I looked it up, couldn't find anything really, um, and was like, all right, well, there there seems to be this opening that I, I felt was in the industry for automotive-themed games. And I was like, that theme might work. And then I looked into the industry more and realized it was growing and was like, hmm, that's interesting. The industry is growing. There's this board game renaissance as everyone was calling it and i was like well that's cool i'll i think there's a trend here and i think that it could be cool to start a company in this space and then so i i sort of did it from the entrepreneurial standpoint less yeah. from the design standpoint which is probably different from most companies and then i just started playing enough games that i learned design and bought every like game design book i could find and started reading all of them yeah, it's kind of a, a trial by fire, like to, like turn the turn the fire hose on you and just absorb as much of it as you can, right? Yeah, gotcha. And so that's where Atheris Games came out of. Like you st you basically started this company before you really got into gaming. Yeah, essentially. Wow, uh, that's super intriguing, man. I, I like I really I just want to know I want to know more. So, like, were you even aware that you could pitch games to publishers, or did you just go right into I'm going to make a company? Uh, well, I mean, I was kind of aware of that, but my um, my dad's owned companies pretty much my whole life, and my uncle, and I was always into the business realm. Um, like I said, I'm a marketing major, so it was sort of like, oh, I want to start a company, and then I came up with a business plan just of like, oh, what if I actually did this kind of thing, and uh, I pitched it in a competition at UF, and I won, yeah. and they sent me to Chicago to pitch um, for the first game, because the, the idea was... It, it was going to be a trading card game, but I was going to get a team of digital developers at UF and we we're going to make a digital version of it. And so it's going to be a physically and digitally integrated um, game. And so that was the preface of the company is that 
we're going to make a few of these large scale games that combine the digital and physical realms. And then we're going to create some board game products that were shorter life cycle, basically where like a video game takes a year or two years to develop. And we figured if we did one of those games every so often, we could get revenues from board games while developing that massive game and then use the massive game to fund more board games and keep doing that kind of thing. So, um, we got that pitch competition lost and the national competition, but we pitched and it was cool. And then a few years later, we got third in UF's uh, big idea business plan competition. And so we just kept winning awards for it. And I was like, all right, well, got to actually do this now. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's interested. So. so is it kind of like a business incubator thing you got part of? They kind of helped yeah. you along the way? Yeah, I was in um, an incubator called the Gator Hatchery at the University of Florida um, for a year or two, um, and then we won the business plan competition. When we got third, I pretty much stopped doing that kind of stuff because part of our winnings was that we would get free retail space at the University of Florida for a few months, so I opened a board game store Mm -hmm. for a few months, Um, and then they basically told us that like the idea of the space was that after a few months of the free lease, you would get kicked out and then move new companies in. And we felt like it would be hard to invest in that location if we knew we were only going to be there for a few months. So I was more interested in investing in the publishing end of it. So that business kind of fizzled out quickly. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to learn. We, I learned about what a retail store's needs are a lot better, which I think helps with the publishing end. I can relate to retailers a lot more now that I know how hard it is. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I'm I'm really glad that your college experience is so much like you're actually learning things for the real world and not because so many of my friends, they get out of college and they're like, well, I am not prepared for life at all. But it seems like you've done a lot of things that actually set you up or prepared you for maybe what you want to do in the future. Now, you've got a marketing degree, but are you wanting to kind of go full-time in the industry, or what do you want to do? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of conflicted. <laughs> um, so I, I found a job that I am pretty much was, like, offered, I guess. The, the company owner was basically like, hey, if you want a job here, I don't hire for entry-level positions, but I can help get you in touch with the right people. And it would pay well enough that I think I would be able to invest a lot more into the company. And Mm -hmm. so I think that might be a solid. So now it's just weighing the pros and cons of my time versus additional money into the company and seeing which is more useful and will help the company uh, scale quicker, essentially. So I, I know the goal is to keep going with theirs and make it as uh, positive as possible and develop as many cool games as we possibly can. But it's just what else I do with my time uh, and money. If I try to go out that full time and make it my job, or if I get another job and use the money to make sure that the company has the financial resources kind of thing. Yeah. Well, gotcha. Well, good luck with that decision, man. That can be a really tough one and you're about to graduate here in, in December. So I hope it, hope it goes really well, but let's, let's go back to Kickstarter. So what made you decide, Hey, we're going to get on Kickstarter. We're going to try this. We're going to make a campaign. We're going to fund this, this game. You talked about, what was it cul-de-sac conquest? Like yeah. where did the idea for Kickstarter come along? More. So probably the worst reason, um, necessity i needed (laughs) money um so so it kind of became this thing like i said i i spent pretty much all of my money on the first game and then didn't finish it and so i i put a lot of money on credit cards that i couldn't really afford to pay back Mm -hmm. and as a college student it was like wow i'm i'm broke i can't really keep doing this and so i realized that the, the company wouldn't really go any further unless we had an additional influx of money and i was like well if we get pre orders of this game i think it it's cool and will sell. So if, if we show that there's market validation, maybe I could get a loan to fund additional games and you know keep going with the company that way kind of thing. And so we didn't know how well the Kickstarter was doing. It was kind of just a, a shot in the dark. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing for marketing in real life. Let's see if this works. And we funded within 52 hours and yeah. ended up raising 200% of our goals. So it, it did a lot better than we expected. And it was sort of like, oh, okay, this can work. Maybe we can figure out how to do this. 
Yeah, and that's really cool. So you needed ten thousand dollars. That was your goal. You made a little over twenty thousand dollars. So, but tell me about that ten grand. Did that ten grand really cover everything, or did you, were you prepared to put some of your own money into? So I I'm always into investing my own money when I can, but I absolutely didn't have any. Yeah. Um, I was at that point in life where I was like, ah, uh, I just took out a loan to pay for this artwork. Um, so I. I had taken out a loan to pay for cul-de-sac's artwork, and then it, it became a thing where I knew I couldn't really invest anymore. So the ten thousand was absolutely what I needed to mm-hmm. fund it. And then we added stretch goals that changed the box size and the weight of the game a lot, which drastically increased our shipping costs more than we expected. And so I did end up putting money into the campaign, even raising more money than we did. Um, at 10,000, I think my economics probably would have worked out better as a company. We probably would have made more money on the initial orders that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but long term, I think it, the game sells better now because of the add on stuff that we had for Kickstarter. I think people liked it more because of that. So yeah. it's probably better long term, but it did cost us more money to do that. Gotcha. And, that, and that, that's something I hear from a lot of people that go to Kickstarter and they, they fund, they make even extra money. They have all these stretch goals. But then after all the dust settles, they still find themselves putting more money into it because of the shipping, because of the added cost for this or that. And so I think that's a really good point to talk about stretch goals. Any advice you'd give somebody when planning their stretch goals so they, they, they don't get to the end of the campaign and lose money? Well, I, I think the main thing is uh, we mapped out the cost as much as we know um, for a manufacturing end, but we didn't really check what the added weight or anything was. The manufacturer never told us what that would add to the weight, and so we didn't check the change in shipping prices. And I think it would have been wise to look at that earlier, obviously, and I, I think that's often what first-time creators do. I think shipping is probably the worst thing ever, mm. and most creators don't realize that until after their first campaign, and they're like, wow, shipping is the worst thing ever, and they'll tell any new creator watch out for shipping, it's going to be your biggest cost, avoid yeah. uh, losing money on that kind of thing. So I, I think that that's probably the biggest takeaway from that campaign was just that any stretch goals we have now, I make sure the weight and size and whatnot of the game stays pretty close to what I want it to be. And I get pre-production copies made with those components so I can weigh it myself and make sure that it's not the manufacturer telling me the wrong numbers because we've had issues with miscommunications with China. But when I have the game physically in my hands and I'm able to say, okay, it weighs 11 ounces, and then I go and get shipping quotes for an 11-ounce box of this size, then it's more accurate than it would be otherwise. And I feel like we did a lot better with the second campaign knowing the cost because of messing up on the first, basically. Yeah, so in other words, be aware of it, and then worst comes worst, do it yourself. Figure it out yourself and don't don't rely on other people to, to tell you. Okay, so let's talk about how you did it, right? how you funded this thing. First time creator, first time you know with a game out there in the world. Nobody knows who you are. They've never heard of this company. They probably don't even know how to pronounce the name, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of where you're coming from. And so... How in the world did you fund this game? You talked about where you didn't really know what you were doing, but you had to know something because you made $20,000, right? And so how did you do it? Like what was part of the let's – talk, let's talk in stages. What was the pre-campaign process? Like what did you do to kind of get your name out there, awareness, all that good stuff? All right, so the first thing is I, I got very, very lucky <laughs> that I, was, I went into a, a Facebook group and I found an artist and uh, the art and graphic design for tabletop games, one of the, those kind of groups. And uh, he was like, all right, I'll help you. And he was helping me with the automotive game. And then I kept working with him for cul-de-sac. And he knew the print specifications of manufacturers that I had didn't know. So the files turned out right the first time without having to redo them, which is another thing. A lot of first-time creators, they'll send the wrong file formats and stuff, and yeah. then it becomes a huge hassle. So I didn't have any of those issues, luckily. So the pre-campaign was him working on the, the graphics and me figuring out what text I wanted on the campaign and doing a video. And so I shot one myself, which was horrible. And then I had one of my... Uh, former business partners redo the video and he did a voiceover thing that turned out pretty uh, cool so he posted that literally so this is how bad we were Uh, he literally posted it like 
five seconds before we launched. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a Kickstarter video until like five seconds before we launched. So that was poor planning on our part for sure. <laughs> so future, d- definitely. I, I had my Kickstarter video for Mutant Crops like two months before the campaign was on, and I, I plan on doing that in the future. But yeah, we were very, very naive to a lot of Kickstarter stuff, so there was a lot of luck involved there. But for pre-marketing, we went to a lot of board game conventions and played the game with people, and uh, we didn't have all the artwork developed, so we just showed them what we did have of artwork on our computers mainly, because we had one card that we printed uh, was a character, and that was it. All the rest of the artwork was just digital. We never made cards for or, or anything. Yeah. Um, so, so would you like gather like email addresses and stuff at these conventions? Yeah, so we we had people play it. They liked it. We got emails um, and got their contact information, whatever we could to send them the campaign when it launched. We did that, and then we um, and I was living in Gainesville because I was still I'm still going to University of Florida, but I'm living in Orlando doing classes online. But at that point, I was living in Gainesville with my business partners, and so we did a launch party in Gainesville, and there was this uh, monthly event that was on Thursdays, and it was like free alcohol um, for anyone that came and it was for like startup companies. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, well, if we just go on their event and say, Hey, we're going to launch our Kickstarter at your event, then we don't have to pay for everyone's alcohol and they'll get free alcohol and they'll be coming here for startups and they can support our startup. What better audience? So yeah. we did that and we got a lot of money from people in Gainesville that just wanted to support, which was cool. Friends and family had a party in Orlando, and so we raised money that way. Huh? That's typical first-time creators, family and friends. Sure. Probably made up a good amount of the initial backing. And then, honestly, from there, I, I think it was just the theme really resonated with people. Um, I read statistics that like one in four people have had an annoying neighbor, so I think... <laughs> We got that 25% of people, and they were all on Kickstarter, fortunately enough for us. Um, And then the other thing was just that because we raised so much money early on because of all the launch parties, I think we just got really high in Kickstarter's algorithms. And I saw us on, like, all the game mentioned pages and stuff, like new trending campaigns and stuff. We just got a lot of money from people who just saw it on Kickstarter. Gotcha. don't think is as common anymore. I think Kickstarter is getting harder and harder, um, but that was lucky. So. Yeah, but it, it still speaks to the importance of that first like initial couple of days, two, three days, and getting backers and getting some money flowing to get in the, the rankings, to get part of that algorithm and all that. But you, you had a lot of success with live events. Now, I've talked to a lot of people who kind of wrote off live events as not even being something worth doing. But you, you seem to have had a lot of success. And now 355 people are backers on that first project, right? So 355 people raise their hand and say, hey, yeah, I want to be a part of this. Maybe it's for a dollar, maybe it's for 100 bucks, whatever. But that's, that's a lot. That's, like, that's a lot more than just friends and family, unless you have some crazy amount of cousins, right? Yeah. That's, that's more yeah, than yeah. just that. And so, like, did you do anything on social media or anything like that to kind of build up the awareness for your company or your game? So uh, another fortunate thing, being in the Gator Hatchery at the University of Florida, I got a social media intern um, that they basically had her work for free under the Gator Hatchery umbrella, basically, and she ended up almost exclusively working with us. Um, So she did all of our social media stuff, which took a lot of work off my plate for that. Hmm. Um, But then I still promoted the game and talked in the board game groups and I try to be very active on Board Game Geek and all the Facebook groups and get people to know me. And I think that helps a lot of like when I was trying to help other creators and people see that, I think they, it resonates with people. I know that James Hudson of Druid City Games, pretty much everyone knows him in all the Facebook groups and he's a super cool dude. And so I think that helps with a lot of the image of his company. And so I, I, I think that was probably a good part of the reason is people had just seen me enough in the groups that it wasn't like a spammy like oh here's my kickstarter yeah um, at, at first uh, eventually i did kind of get a little scammy spammy and people mentioned it to me so one of my friends like was like hey stop posting in the groups i'm like okay <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, fair enough uh but it, it it was a thing that i think a lot of first-time creators too they they overshare their campaigns um but we were also hitting stretch goals and stuff, and I think those are times when you can share. And so there's 
there's times when you can and probably shouldn't and so we we a little overshared maybe yeah um, but, but you bring up I, go ahead I, I just think that's the thing is you have to kind of weigh those uh make, am i sharing too much and am i doing too little and no one knows about it kind of thing i guess yeah, for sure. And you bring up a good point about basically being a ladder builder as opposed to being a ladder climber. You know, when you're helping build ladders for other people, they appreciate that, man. And they, they want to help you up, up some of your ladders. You know, generosity reciprocates. And so we've talked about this so many times in the past of getting in the forums, getting on the Facebook guilds and groups and helping other people. One, you learn from that process. You learn because what they're struggling with, you might be struggling with, and you can all kind of learn together. But then you kind of build up awareness so it's not some scammy guy it's not a door-to-door salesman you know knocking on the door and sticking his foot in there and trying to sell you something it's just a friend or somebody that's helped you in the past saying hey um you know i'm glad we, we're in relationship we know each other i got this game you'll check it out i'd appreciate it and that comes off a whole lot different than some random stranger who shows up and just like throws out some links and it's like who is this guy like who does, do you know yeah. where you are you're like a small child that just wandered into a theater and you don't <laughs> even know what's going on right and so i think that that says a lot and so let's Let's talk about expectations, right? Pre-campaign, what are you expecting? Were you expecting to get 200% of your goal? Like, what were your expectations going in? No, I mean, I definitely feel like I was hopeful that we would overfund, mm-hmm. but not expecting to fund the event, honestly. <laughs> so I, I'm i a, a college student, like I said, so $10,000 is a lot of money. And I was like, how am I going to get enough people to support this that I'm going to have $10,000 at the end of it? And and so it was one of those things. I was like, like you said, 355 is a, a lot of people. And I was like, I don't know 355 people. Yeah. So how do I get all these other people that don't know me to like this product enough that they want to pay for it? And I had no idea, really. So we we did some Facebook ads and stuff like that. But our marketing budget was super tiny um being that i didn't have any money so we had it like 300 or 400 dollars to work with for facebook ads and stuff like that and to trying to generate 10 grand and i was like well this is risky we'll see how this goes and so it i i feel like it was just very fortunate honestly that that campaign funded so well because i think a lot of people did find it on kickstarter that now I think you would need to do a little bit more marketing, and I think we were successful despite the fact that I didn't market it as well as I feel like I did with mutant crops, and will do with future campaigns. But yeah, so any any advice for somebody who's looking into Facebook ads, who's dealing with you know 2017, 2018 Kickstarter marketplace, which is vastly different than it even was six, eight months a year ago, right? Any advice to them as far as how to use Facebook ads or things maybe you would do differently or anything like that? Yeah, so I I feel like um, you have to market the campaign at least a month before it goes live and have a date set in stone where people know when to back and get some sort of following for it. I have found, I I don't know why, but people love opening my emails. So my email list does really, really well (laughs) compared to other email lists. And so I, I think that it's important to get people interested. And I think a large part of why our email list does well is the people that are on it want to be on it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wouldn't just go randomly ask all your friends for their emails kind of thing. But anyone that you think would be interested in the project, getting those people to sign up for email lists and having Facebook targeted ads to the right segments that you think are interested in our game and getting them to see it three or four times before the project ever goes live, it's definitely a solid idea. Um, the only other thing I think I would say is that um, someone told me this recently, I wasn't doing it, but you can make Facebook pixels and it basically allows you to retarget to people that clicked links before and whatnot. So if they have people rerouting to their website to learn more about the Kickstarter or rerouting to the Kickstarter preview page or whatever, having a Facebook pixel that allows them to retarget to those people that already clicked on the ad is probably a solid idea. Um, and you can even do it if, if they had it go to a website that wasn't actually a website and then it rerouted to the Kickstarter link, you can still put a Facebook pixel on the original site that it redirects to Kickstarter. So that's probably what I would do in the future. Yeah, gotcha. Now, did you do any research on other campaigns that had done well or other people in their marketing strategy or anything like that? Yeah, so I emailed, talked to a lot of people, called people on the phone and whatnot of 
other successful people. And like I said, I was fortunate enough that um, Sebastian Cosner, who was the artist that did the like graphic design stuff on the game, uh, was very in touch with the board game scene. So he helped connect with me with some of his other clients so that I could learn from them. And then uh, the artist did an incredible job on the artwork, obviously, Alan Orr. And so those two were very good to work with, and I was very fortunate to have them. Uh, but I, I talked to a lot of those people, and then I also did um, – I backed a campaign every day for the month of October of 2015 uh, for, like, a dollar, but I just wanted to constantly be on Kickstarter yeah. to learn more about what other projects were doing. So I just made it a habit of going on Kickstarter and finding whatever campaign I thought was the best that I found of that day and supporting it for a dollar just so that I could – be like, okay, I've looked at a million and one projects now. I have a better idea of what's successful and why I'm backing these and why I think other people might back my campaign. Kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing that really compares to what works right now, like finding out what people are doing, not just thinking about it or theorizing or anything like that, but actually getting in there, backing a bunch of projects, something Jamie Stegmaier talks about. Back projects and learn what other people are doing. And because some things you're going to like, and you can steal those ideas. Some things you're going to go, this is not very good. Some things seem like they're really dumb, and they make a million dollars. And so, like, figuring out why people are backing certain things and, and doing that research is so important uh, in that pre-planning process. But let's also talk about the art. You mentioned the art. How much art did you have done by the time you launched the campaign? Uh, we probably had, like, 30% done. Okay. Um, I had already paid for all of it. But it was like the artist was still finalizing things. And we we had the Not Safe for Work deck. Uh, we didn't know what we were going to do with it. And we kind of added it on as a, like, oh, if people want this, then we'll add it. But it was originally only going to be like 15 cards. And it was like I was significantly overcharging for it just because I was like, unless we get to the stretch goal, it won't make sense for me to pay for all this additional artwork. Um, and so that was... Uh, art that wasn't complete um but the base game was pretty much like 30 to 50 percent done before the campaign it was just a lot of having to do all the not safe for work cards and doing the last bit of artwork for like the game board and that sort of thing but we already had the box and like a few of each other card type yeah so any advice to someone as far as like how like if i was going to do a kickstarter coming up next month like what percentage of art do you would you suggest i have done to launch the campaign and really show off the game well, I don't think you need all of it per se. And I was a vet, like for the first campaign, people kept saying like, oh, you should have all the art done. And I was like the proponent of, oh, you don't need all the art. Uh, look, I didn't have all the art. And then I, I think the more I have launched games, the more I think you should try to have all the art done prior. And I think the biggest reason for that is uh, I've worked with artists enough now that I know that they are, tend to be freelancers that work on a lot of different projects and they get busy and then if they get busy and they don't complete in certain deadlines then the kickstarters get delayed and uh, there's already enough reasons for kickstarters to be delayed and so i want to take as many of those out as possible and i can't really deal with the manufacturing end of it if the manufacturer takes longer there's nothing i can really do there other than switching manufacturers i can't really affect shipping all that much once it's in the shipping hands it's kind of out of my control but i can affect how much i have done prior so i prefer to have every single bit of gameplay done the rules everything done and all the artwork to be 100 percent final beforehand but i do know that some people like to not have everything done because then the backers can kind of sway how things go. And I do understand that element too. It just kind of depends on what people want to get out of it. And I just was kind of uh, disheartened by how long it took for our first campaign to actually deliver to our backers. And I wanted to be better about delivering on time. And with Mutant Crops, I know that we're like, it's already finished manufacturing. We said we would ship by December, and I 100% think we're still on track for that, um, if not quicker. Yeah. So that's something I'm looking for in future projects. Yeah, so how much did the art not being done delay that first project? Like, how many months did it push you back? Uh, I would say that it was, like, four to five months. Okay, wow. So that's a good bit. Yeah, there was a lot of artwork for the game, and it's very art-intensive. And uh, the artist 
took a little while longer than he expected and my graphic designer started working on other projects he didn't want to do a few cards at a time he was like i'm just going to do it one bit when everything's done and so it was like once the artist finished everything my graphic designer was a little bit busier and he didn't have as much time and so it took him a little bit longer and it just was a process um and i think if that process had been done prior to kickstarter it would have been significantly better um because it would have avoided a lot of those delays so. yeah so that's really something first time publishers first time kickstarter campaigners really need to be aware of is the timelines for art because it's these people have other jobs. A lot of them don't necessarily do this full time. And even if they do, they're working on how, who knows how many projects at the same time. And so that could really affect your timelines. Now, let's talk about like during the campaign, how did you engage with your backers? Like how did you get them on board that they wanted to share, that they wanted to bring other people in? Because your, your mom can only tell so many of her friends, right? <laughs> and so how did you engage with the, the backers and kind of get the word out through them? Um. So... Uh, my social media intern at the time was very good about using gifts for everything and I didn't, but then she got me so into it. We kind of started doing backer updates and we would have sort of a battle of who could include more random gifts into the updates. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I just made the updates fun, something that I would want to read. And I think people appealed to that and it was less, it was probably like less professional maybe than like a bigger company. But it just seemed, I think, more relatable and more like this is someone that I'm actually helping support and create this kind of thing. Um, so I think it went better with the indie nature of some Kickstarters. Um, so I, I thought that was good. And then the other thing is I'm just very big on communication. So we were posting backer updates a lot. We were doing social goals on our Kickstarter to unlock certain things. And we just kind of got people interested in doing them and it got people to engage with the campaign more. And once they engaged with it more, they shared it more and told their friends about it more and whatnot. But we had a crazy Wikipedia page made for the game just to see if Wikipedia would <laughs> allow it. And they did. I, I was shocked. They try to take it down several times, but it ended up staying. It's still on there. <laughs> nice. It worked, but it's it's like this whole crazy story. Um, the lady who wrote it put me in as like that I, I was struggling and you know needed all kinds of crazy like me almost being homeless and all kinds of crazy stuff that wasn't particularly true, but made for an awesome Wikipedia page. So <laughs> it's funny. I'm like one of the annoying neighbors. It's it's cool. So. <laughs> Yeah. So have fun. I think you bring up a great, great point with be personal. Keep it personal. Keep it, keep it in reality. I've seen so many people on their website or through emails and stuff. They'll say, we like, we are doing this. And it's like, we mean, who is we is you, you are by yourself. There is nobody else. There is no, like the team is really working hard. The team, it, you're by yourself. Like, don't, don't try to like <laughs> pretend to be more than you are. I think uh, when, when people know it's like you and some buddies and you got this dream and this project and you've worked real hard on it, they get more behind you than some, you know, like team of people that have really worked, you know, whatever. Like just be, be you, be who you are. Uh, to be fair, I, I use the we thing. Um, I'm one of those people, and the reasoning behind it is, well, originally I had business partners. Right, there was a we, there were it multiple people, we. right. And I, I still continue using we because I'm still working with a bunch of d different designers and stuff, and yeah. I still consider it a team of people. I'm the only one that's actively working for the company, Right. but th there, there's a lot of people I work with and the, gra the graphic designer and artist and whatnot, and I still think of it as a team effort. So. Yeah. No, no, that makes a little more sense. You have other partners along the journey, but I've seen so many people, and it's one person, you know, and they're <laughs> like, yeah, let us know when you've, like, who's us? Like, who, <laughs> yeah. you and your cat? Like, who, who is this us? And so, anyway, just, I, I think just keeping things real, right? Being yeah. honest about, hey, this is just me. I've been working on this game for a year. I've, we've put a lot of time, I've, I've put a lot of time into it, you know, just being honest. But how do you yeah. feel about like social goals? Like a lot of campaigns now will have social stretch goals. You know, if I get 500 likes on Facebook, this opens up this new, you know, three cards or whatever. Like, how do you feel about social goals? So that's what we did with cul-de-sac and I liked them. Um, but I didn't really do them as much with mutant crops and I'm not really sure I'll do them too much in the future. I, I mean, I like to incentivize people to share it and whatnot, but I feel like I probably can do that without having any specific goals catered to it. And I, I just feel like they, 
they to me now like after seeing them more it feels more gimmicky mm-hmm. than anything and so i i rather people just generally want to share it than try to get them to share it because it unlocks something or whatever so i probably will shy away from them a little more um but i i think it's more because that like idea that I, I feel like it just feels more like oh if you do this we'll unlock this thing that we're probably gonna do anyways um instead of just having people genuinely want to help the campaign yeah gotcha i think it's cause i'm a little bit conflicted about my feelings i see what you're saying i feel like we should be working to create raving fans right and a raving fan is gonna gonna share your product your game whether you've got social media stretch goals or not like and so trying to create this like you were saying earlier with your with your updates and having the memes and having the fun stuff and engaging people uh, i think that probably goes a lot farther than just having a big list of hey if we get 200 twitter uh shares or whatever we're gonna unlock this new scenario it's like oh okay cool i don't i don't know that that really creates raving fans so much as just like a checklist to go down and so i feel like spending more time on how do i engage this backer base better I think that's going to be better time, time better spent, more time, more well spent. Anyway, that's going to be better use of your time. And so do you have any advice on other ways to kind of engage backers or things that you've seen other people do or things you're going to do in the future that could help somebody right now get published or get, uh, get funded on Kickstarter? Not really sure. I, I definitely feel like that's one area I'm still trying to work on. I think the updates is one good way. Um, and I know that, there's definitely some backers who are like, don't update all the time. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Don't back our campaigns if you don't want a lot of updates. They're, generally, more more so than not, people want to be updated on it and they feel like their money has been put into something and they want to know where that money is and they don't want the creators. Like, I've, I've backed some campaigns that have been out for three years and they'll mention it every, like, six months. And I don't really like that. And so I know that a lot of people don't, prefer that so i'll post as often as i feel is relevant and we have no information at all i probably won't post anything unless it's been a month or so since our last update kind of thing but so that's one way and then i i try to engage with a lot of people on twitter and social networks that are easy to engage with people so if our fans follow us on instagram i try to like their pictures and see what they're up to and learn more about them and that sort of thing and if people talk to us on facebook and want to learn more about us then i'll tell them whatever they want to know and figure out more about them and we do some contests for free copies of the game to get people engaged and that sort of thing but um i i definitely still feel like we're learning there and it's not something that i completely know yet and i've been trying to talk to other people in the industry and kind of figure out how to be better at that because honestly uh, going to school for marketing doesn't teach me a lot of real-world marketing stuff, and so I'm, I'm trying to learn more of the real-world stuff from talking to people who are more su- better suited than me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to learn a whole bunch of theory, but what works and what really doesn't work. But I think what you're doing, you're you're building community, right? You're you're getting to know people, you're bringing people in, you're running contests that builds up a community of of fans, of hopefully raving fans that want to be part of your next project or want to share your next project. And so I think that's a a really good way to do it. Now let's talk about the mid campaign slump. So 99% of campaigns, they hit the middle and it's just a grind, right? Where where you're not really getting very many new backers unless you're kingdom death or seventh continent that's on Kickstarter right now, which doesn't appear to be slowing down as they like, I mean, millions and millions of dollars. So like those, those kind of campaigns are super rare, right? Most of them, they run in the middle and they just grind to a halt. What did you do during the mid campaign slump? uh cry uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did you do to kind of like get over the hill get over the yeah, slump? That's a better question yeah, <laughs> yeah I, um i i think that it, it was definitely hard the first time because i knew it was a thing but I, I didn't like realize how hard it would hit us and i was like no but we were also already funded and so i i think that made it slightly better with mutant crops we weren't funded and the mid campaign slump was scarier um, so I, I did more marketing efforts in the middle of the campaign, honestly, than I did in the first or last week. Uh, I felt that in order to rectify the fact that the slump is always going to be bad a little bit, I did a little bit more marketing in those 
two weeks than I did the other two weeks kind of thing. Um, it didn't help that there were a lot of really big campaigns that launched at the same time as us, and we weren't high in the rankings for the first week. And so the slump, I think, was probably a little bit worse than the first campaign event um, for that. And then, honestly, it comes down to luck again. Um, we had one backer who pledged $1,000 that I didn't know, um, and it brought the campaign back up. And then uh, he overfunded us by increasing his pledge to $2,500. Wow. And I was shocked and scared, honestly. I talked to a lot of people in the industry, and I was like, is this potentially going to go through or is this money totally never going to hit the account and am I going to have to figure out how to fund the game so I, I was like the goal was 10 grand and I was trying to get to like 12 five because I was like if this guy's pledge doesn't go through his cards declined or whatever then what am I going to do I need to account for this pledge never coming in or him dropping the pledge at the last minute because that happens um, and luckily none of that happened his pledge totally went through perfectly and the guy's super cool um, but Honestly, like I said, it, it was more luck than anything. We did a little bit more Facebook marketing and stuff, but I think that one pledge really helped us out significantly. And it was someone who was just looking at Kickstarter and decided he really liked our project. He's a big fan of asparagus, and he wanted us to add asparagus to the game. And so he pledged a lot of money to do so. Okay. <laughs> That's, and sometimes you just gotta get lucky, you know. But one thing I learned is the harder I work, the luckier I get. And so, you know, it speaks to the the time and effort that that you put in. Now, going forward, what are you gonna do to kind of for your future projects to get over that mid campaign slump? Any ideas of what you're gonna do? Um, so I know a, a lot of campaigns lately um, have moved to shorter timelines, and so I'm interested to see what what happens with that. So I know James Hudson is posting a video with Eduardo um, from Pencil First. They, they did an interview together um, about that because they both have campaigns right now, Sunset Over Water and um, the new Druid City game. Uh, I, Guardians Call. Guardians Call, yeah. I, I, I played uh, or looked at it at Dice Tower and everything at my mind, totally drawn a blank. But um, so Guardians Call and Sunset Over the Water both um, were, I think we're 10 days each. Mm. Uh, they're definitely under two weeks. And so that it will be interesting. They're, they're both funding really well, and it should be interesting to see if maybe the mid-campaign slump doesn't have to happen if you just do shorter campaigns. And I know previously, statistically, 30-day campaigns perform better, but I think that Kickstarter has been changing a lot, and relying on completely old data is probably not the best thing. So I think it was very wise of both of them to start testing new things and encouraging, looking at the platform and seeing things are changing. What can we do to make our products better and make our campaigns better and whatnot? So probably looking towards that as the long answer uh, to avoid it. But if that doesn't work out and it seems 30-day campaigns are, in fact, better, um, then it would just have to do with marketing. I think marketing is probably the biggest reason campaigns fund or don't fund. So. Yeah, when you say marketing, you're talking like more Facebook ads or what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah, doing more Facebook ads, doing more ads in magazines and on Board Game Geek and going to more conventions and having presence uh, on the, all the online groups. Anything that will get people aware that the business is there kind of thing. Yeah, and so I think you know going back to the short campaigns, with a first-time publisher – I think it's a huge risk, but like like Pencil First and Druid City, these guys they have huge customer bases at this point. Like they've done a ton of projects, they've they've delivered projects. People can trust them. They have great artwork. They've put a lot of money into all these different things. And so doing a ten twelve day uh, campaign for one of those guys is probably a little bit different than if I'm just coming to Kickstarter first guy, time around. No one's ever heard of me. So I think that's one thing uh, to be aware of. But it'll be interesting to see because I know uh, Edo's Edo's project's doing really well. I saw it a couple of days ago and it had already like way overfunded and, and looked really good and it was going into stretch goals and stuff. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of how these experiments play out. And the good thing about Edo, he'll, he'll do some videos and tell us, right? He'll go, this is really good. Yeah. This didn't work out so well. And so I'm looking forward to kind of his videos down the road. Now, how do you finish strong with one of these projects, especially if it's your first time project? Now the data says the first couple of days and the last couple of days are the main places you get your funding, right? But how do you make sure that happens? How do you make sure you finish strong? 
Um, I think a lot of it is encouraging current backers to talk about it more and doing any final marketing. And like I said, I, I think one of the things that a lot of marketing experts say is that you have to touch the same people three or four times before they normally will ever buy your product. So getting in front of those people, it might not be until the end that they decide to back it. And there's a lot of times when maybe your marketing efforts early on and the campaign were great, but they didn't show as good of results because everyone was hitting the button to remind them with 48 hours to go. And so you do have a lot of people who press that button that will back it in the last 48 hours and then it goes trending on Kickstarter's pages and that normally helps. But I, I think a lot of it is finishing strong is just making sure that you did the effort early on and keep touching the same people that you were reaching out to at the beginning of the campaign that didn't back it yet. So. Yeah. Now let's, let's do some, like, what would you do different? What would you do the same kind of thing? Like thinking about the first campaign and going into the second, what are some things you did differently and why did you not, not the, not necessarily a huge long list, but just some of the main core things you did differently and why? Uh, well, and we licensed the game. So all the artwork was done. So that was good. Um, we hired a rule book editor to edit the rule book because we had issues with the rule book for the first game of people not comprehending all the rules because um, I'm not a technical writer. So outsourcing that to someone who does rule book editing for larger publishers definitely was helpful. Uh, we made sure to announce the launch date well in advance and Jamie Stagmeyer has a Google Drive thing that has all the launch days and so we were clever enough to launch uh, the same day as the Grim Forest, like an hour afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it, we had the video done. We had a, the whole campaign done well in advance, and so we were able to market it a lot quicker. Um, so we had like a month before the campaign, people knew that the game was coming out. So I think that's helpful. It's marketing before the campaign is crucial. Like you said, it takes a few impressions to get people to back it. So having those impressions be before the campaign is preferable to having them all be just during the campaign. So. Yeah. Now what, what did you do the same? Like, what did you go? Okay. This worked really well for the first time. Let's make sure we do it again. Uh, the updates still have gifts. Uh, we still update the campaigns a lot. Uh, we used the same graphic designer and had obviously he, he's actually the designer of mutant crops. Uh, and his wife did all the artwork there. Super cool. Uh, but anyways, they um, did the the headings and stuff the same way, and we pretty much laid out the campaign similar. Um, so that's probably the only thing we really did too similar, and then doing a lot of Facebook ads because we found those were more effective than all the other ads we did for cul-de-sac. So. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now – Let's get your best advice. Like, I'm about to start a campaign, something like that. Somebody's about to get going. They're a few weeks out, a month out. What is the best advice you would give me or give somebody in that uh, situation? Uh, if they're like a month out to start marketing now. <laughs> start uh, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> start two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. yeah one of those things of like start as soon as possible on marketing and getting an email list. And hopefully, prior to that point, they've already built up some following building up a following for the company and or the game beforehand is definitely preferable. And I, I think that's the main thing is obviously you, you want a good product. And so you want the game to be as good as possible. You want the quality of the game to be as high as possible. And those things are obvious. But I, I think the thing that people often don't reflect on as much is the marketing aspect of it. Um, business is hard. And so a lot of people that are starting, they're starting because they love games and love designing this game where they probably aren't suited to be a publisher. So I think I've seen a lot of those Kickstarters where they probably would have been better suited going working with another publisher because they would have had less headaches and that probably would have been more up their alley. So that would be my main thing is before it's too late when you have people's money <laughs> to really soul search and see if that's what you want to do. Um, Obviously, it would be preferable if you did that before you funded any artwork or anything that a publisher could throw away. Right. But um, soul searching is definitely important. And there's a lot of people, I think, that don't do well enough at that and realize after they've had a campaign funded, like, oh, crap, I have to do this and I don't want to. Yeah. Um, and so that would probably be my my biggest advice is to 
make sure you want to do it. It's not the most lucrative profession. Um, and it, it's definitely not the easiest. So if someone wants to do it, they have to realize that the business challenges and the marketing and all that stuff is going to take up their time. And so if design is their sole focus and that's what they want to do, then don't start a company most likely. <laughs> There's a few, you know, odd cases where that's not the case obviously there's always the outliers but for the the main portion of people that's probably a good rule of thumb so yeah to realize that when you go to kickstarter it's not about designing a game anymore it's about starting a business and there's all the business and the taxes and the, and the shipping and all of the things you, you maybe aren't even aware of that go into that to really know what you're getting into uh, before you just jump off the cliff and go yeah you know kingdom death made millions of dollars i can do the same thing like that might be a curse like that might like you, success might crush you in that scenario yeah. well cool andrew really appreciate you coming on the show thanks for all the wisdom and advice you want to tell anybody about the current games current projects you're working on so uh we have supernatural socks it's a game about losing socks in the dryer so ghosts <laughs> are stealing everyone's socks so i designed that and in theory we're trying to have kickstarter stretch goals to include a pair of socks with the game so that would be pretty awesome new socks uh, are worn they'll There'll be new socks, and the idea is the stretch goal, you'll get one sock, and then if you get a subsequent stretch goal, then you'll actually get the pair. Okay. Uh, and they'll have all the ghosts on them from the game. So the, okay, so which, not just a white tube sock or anything? No, <laughs> most likely not. Yeah, uh, if, future, if, if, we, if we do well enough, then we're going to try to have them printed with our ghosts. If not, then they're just going to be random. Yeah. Uh, probably pink socks, honestly. Yeah. That, because that's what the manufacturer gave us earlier. It's like little kid pink socks. Um, so we have that. And then we signed a longer, like one and a half to two hour strategy game. So uh, we're really excited about that. It's currently called Ruins of Mars. It works on a Mancala like uh, structure. So there's a board with five spaces and you pick up stacks of cards and you play them back down um, around the board. So very excited about that one. It's a very elegant design by um, a designer, Don Riddle, that's around the Florida area. And then we have a few other games in the work. We're working on one with Ken Shannon. He designed a tournament at Camelot for WizKids and uh, approaching Don the Witching Hour. So I'm excited. I'm working on that with him. So it should be a cool co-design. Um, it's a Viking-themed game. Where you're playing as the Norse gods, and you're trying to... It's like a deception style of game, so you're trying to figure out what the other gods are, but you don't know, and there's a death order because uh, it's the final battle of the Ragnarok, and all the gods are eventually going to die. But it's figuring out what gods die in what order, so you can kind of figure out based on where people move stuff in the death line what god they are, but you're trying to decipher that while they also destroy um, the tree of life of the different worlds. So. Yeah. Well, cool, man. And then you're also a writer over at Casual Game Insider. You got anything you want to talk about with that? Yeah, so um, we're we're doing some ads uh, for Theris in there, and I'm writing some articles for them. So we have, I already have articles signed for the first three issues of 2018. So I'm excited for that. So people want to find me and see what, what my writing's all about. That's the place to do it. Casual Game Insider is awesome. So. Well, cool, man. Again, appreciate you coming on the show, and good luck with all the projects you got going on right now. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?